want you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Hosea, Hosea chapter 3. Hosea chapter 3. Hosea is an interesting book. The picture of the book of Hosea is God draws a parallel between Hosea and a rebellious wife named Gomer to Israel and himself. And he draws this parallel in such a way that he reveals the depth of God's love, and listen to me, the unconditional pursuit of God for his people. If you're saved today, I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. There's never one moment of time in your life when God will leave you alone. Not one moment. And if God leaves us alone, it testifies that we're not his. Now, we always quote a promise, and we always quote it in a way to encourage us in times of circumstances and times of trouble. And the promise is, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Aren't you glad for that? Say amen. But what if I told you, just as much as it isn't a promise, it's also a warning. And you say, what do you mean it's a warning? Because if I step out of the will of God, or if I step out of the ways of God, God will never leave me nor forsake me. But he will deal with me. In other words, he'll deal with me in correction, conviction. Why? Because he hasn't left me. And he hasn't forsaken me. In other words, one of the greatest evidences of the depth of God's love is even when we step out of his will and out of his ways, he'll pursue us and draw us and deal with us until we come to a place of being back in fellowship with him. You see, this is where revival begins. Revival begins when you and I allow the Lord to search our hearts. And in searching our hearts, we come to the place of allowing him to show us whatever we need to see. And then in those moments, we deal with those things through confession and repentance. And then God has free access through you and through me to accomplish anything and everything he wants to do. Roy Hessian said, revival is nothing more and nothing less than Jesus the Christ who lives in you to have freedom through you to manifest himself however he wants to. You see, revival, we think of it as people getting saved. I got news for you. Revival is for the church. People coming to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus is an outflow of what God's doing inside the church people and the church body. And so revival is for the saved. 
And if we get right, I promise you, others will come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every revival you study that through the course of our history always has the same two marks. And you say, what are those two marks? Well, number one, prayer, and number two, repentance. Every revival begins with those two marks. And listen, if those two marks are not true, I promise you, you will not see and I will not see even a sniff of what God wants to do. It begins right there. Now you say, well, preacher, I I don't want times where I have to put a mirror to myself. Well, can I tell you something? Number one, you don't stand up before the mirror. God places the mirror in front of you. And God sees you through his eyes, not through your own. I promise you, if you look at yourself through your eyes, you'll excuse away many, many things. But if you see yourself through his eyes, I promise you, you can't excuse it away. And you'll deal with it. Now, so what takes place in the book of Hosea is this. Gomer, Hosea's wife, literally makes a choice and abandons him. And when she abandons him, she goes to another man. And she begins to enter into relationship with that other man. To the point that she becomes a slave to that man. In other words, she entered into an adulterous affair. And as she continued to give herself to that adulterous affair... The man then makes her a common slave. And the picture is God saying through Hosea, Israel, this is exactly how I see you. That I have taken care of you. I have provided for you. I have loved you. I have guided you. I have governed you. I've done everything for you, but yet you chose to give yourself to idols. And God calls that in the Old Testament spiritual adultery. Now listen to what I'm about to say and then we're going to read our text and we're going to look at the text. Anytime. Now y'all going to love me, say amen. Because it's going to be a hard statement. So y'all promise you're going to love me, say amen. Anytime you or I choose our will over his will, we've committed spiritual adultery. Anytime. I've done it. You've done it. We've all done it from time to time in our life. Because at that moment, what we've chose is we've chose to live life for ourselves instead of yieldedness to our heavenly bridegroom. Now, with all that being said, let's stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word. Hebrew, uh, Hosea chapter 3. I'm going to deal with the first three verses and then I'll touch on verse 4 and 5 at the end. Then said the Lord unto me, being Hosea, Go yet, love a woman beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress. According to the love of the Lord towards the children of Israel who look to other gods and love flaglands of wine. Now the word wine here is better translated raisin. 
And why is that important? Because they had went after other gods and part of the Canaanite worship was given raisins. Participating in raisins is part of the Canaanite worship. It says, so I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver and for a homer of barley and a half a homer of barley. And I said unto her, thou shalt abide for me many days, thou shalt not play the harlot, and thou shalt not be for another man, so will I also be for thee. Let's pray. Father, would you speak to us through your divine and precious and mighty word, and I'll give you the praise in Jesus' name, amen. I want you to look first in verse 1 at the proclamation, the proclamation. Now, here's the thing about this proclamation. This proclamation was an unmis- had an unmistakable aspect to the command. Now, you say, what do you mean by that? Well, here's the deal. This was not something that Hosea could have excused away. In other words, this wasn't something that God said to Hosea and in a very vague way that Hosea could have said, hey, listen, I don't know exactly what God's asking me to do. Now, I want to tell you, this is something God made very, very clear to Hosea. There was no way to misinterpret what God had said to Hosea. What did God say? Well, look at verse 1. He said, go ye, love a woman who is loved of a friend who is an adulteress. So in other words, God made it crystal clear. He said to Hosea, he said, now here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to go love a woman. Now you say, wait a minute, it was Hosea's wife. Yeah, but she wasn't acting like a wife, so God didn't credit her with that. He said, a woman. And he said, go love that woman who is beloved of another. Now, how many of you agree today that God made himself very, very clear? I mean, there was no way to mistake what God had said. Now, here's the reality. As you apply this to Israel and the Lord, here's what the Lord is saying. I, as you, Love my people even though they've given their love to somebody else. Now, notice secondly the unbelievable aspect of the command. Now, let me ask you a question. Let's just be transparent here. If you had a spouse who left for many, many weeks to give themselves to somebody else. And God told you to go and to bring that spouse unto yourself and love that spouse. And do whatever it takes to get this spouse back. In this case, he was going to have to purchase her. In your humanity, what would you think? How many agree in our humanity we would find every reason to excuse it away? I mean, we'd say, wait a minute, God, that's not you. You wouldn't tell me to do that. I mean, we, we, in our humanity, I promise you, what we would do is we'd find every reason and we would go and find every single verse that would, we could misinterpret that we could get out from under that command. But Hosea, listen. Didn't even question it. Isn't that amazing? Now you say, well, what would make this an unbelievable aspect to this command? 
Well, listen, let's go through some things about Gomer, and you tell me how you would view it. First thing was the leaving of Gomer. I mean, here was Gomer who was brought to Hosea. Hosea loved her. Hosea provided for her. Hosea protected her. Hosea was everything to her, and she willingly chose to leave and go find somebody else, but not only find somebody else, but willingly doing that, allow herself to become a common slave to the one that she gave herself to. And God says, go get her back. Now, here's what I'm trying to tell you. All of us, from time to time, commit spiritual adultery. But every single time, God pursues us wherever we are. And every single time, God will co continuously, nonstop, un uh, listen, unconditionally he will continue to pursue you and 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 listen to me a minute if God's not pursuing you and you're out of the will of God then you're lost because God won't let any of his children go God said to Gomer he said yeah she left you she left you but you go and pursue her now listen, this is how God saw Israel, in the same light. Let me show you a passage that helps us understand God's heart towards Israel. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse number 5. Now listen to what God says to Israel through the prophet Jeremiah. Now understand, God viewed Israel, listen, as his, his own people. And he viewed them in the same way that we see the Lord in our life. He's the bridegroom, we're the bride. And he literally took care of them as a bridegroom would take care of a bride. And Israel decided there were other gods they would rather have. And listen to what God says to Israel. Look at verse 5. This is an amazing passage to me. He said, thus saith the Lord, what iniquity. Have your fathers found in me? Now, this is God speaking to Israel. What sin have your fathers found in me being God? That they are gone far from me and have walked after vanity and become vain. In other words, here's what God said to Israel. He said, listen, he said, tell me, tell me. Can you imagine God asking you this? God, he said, tell me, what have you found in me that is so egregious, so sinful, that it would cause you to bend a knee to another God, to bend a knee to another idol, to take of yourself out of fellowship with me and place yourself in fellowship with something else? Can you imagine God asking us that? I mean, this is what God said. Now, look, he goes on. Listen to what he goes on to say. Verse 6, neither said they, where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt and led us through the wilderness, through the land of deserts and pits, through the land of drought and, and of the shadow of death, through a land no man passed through and where no man dwelt. In other words, he says, have I not proven to you my protecting and guiding and governing hand and providing hand? He said, what iniquity have you found in me? But yet no time did you say, where is the Lord? I did all these things for you, and you never asked where I was. Let me prove it to you in a, in, a, in a physical way. By raising your hand, how many of you have a favorite place that you like to eat, and you find yourself going there continuously? 
most everybody in the room. All right? It may be because it's a place that's got the best salad or it may be the place that's got the best chicken or whatever it may be. And you find yourself going there more than you go anywhere else. But then all of a sudden, another place comes to your attention. And you go there. And you like it so good, the tongue comes out and slaps the nose off your face. And then six months later, you look at your wife or your husband and you say, you know, we haven't been back to that place in a long, long time. Why? Well, see, your affection for the place that you went to all the time has now been altered to another place. Therefore, guess what? Unconsciously, you began to forget about the place you used to patronize all the time. Because, see, your affections move somewhere else. This is what happens, folks. This is what happens when you and I begin to step out of the will of God and step out of the ways of God. Here's what's going to take place. Here's the the evidence and the proof of whether we're walking in the will and ways of God or not. Y'all ready for this? Say amen. If you're saved, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find your prayer time begins to wean. Your study time begins to wean. Your intimacy with the Lord begins to wean. And what begins to happen is you begin to find yourself giving yourself to everything else instead of giving yourself to him and what happens is is you begin to forget now I'll tell you if you're saved God won't let you stay there but you begin to wean in your fellowship and 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 what he says here and look at verse 7 of Jeremiah 2. And I brought you into the plentiful country to eat fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when you entered, you defiled my land and my heritage and abomination. Now watch this. Even the priests, even the religious leaders, even the ones that could be the only ones that Israel could come to God through. He said, the priest said not, where is the Lord? Can you imagine? Even the religious leaders didn't acknowledge where the Lord was. And they that handle the law knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me. And the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after the things that do not profit. There was a leaving of Gomer. And with that being true, God says, go get her. Now, how many of you agree in our humanity? That's unbelievable. Notice, secondly, the love of Gomer. Go back to Hosea 3 and look at verse 1. He says, go yet, love a woman beloved of a friend. So in other words, he doesn't use the term beloved of a husband because he wasn't a husband. And so in other words, this one that Gomer has gave herself to, here's what God says. He says, go love a woman that's loved by somebody else. Now, here's the picture I want you to see, okay? The world will love on you if you let it. But just like Gomer, did Gomer enter into this as a slave? We really don't know, but I would tend to doubt because it says here he beloved her. So she entered in maybe on the terms of of a relationship with another man that she thought was more appealing or whatever the case may be. 
And but it ended up, she became a slave. So here's what the world will do. You can give yourself to the world. The world will love on you. The world will entertain you. The world will give you affection that you think you're missing. But here's the reality. Every single time, you're going to end up a slave. So much so, we're going to discover in a minute that this one that quote-unquote loved her was willing to sell her. And can I tell you that's exactly what the world will do? The world will love on you. The world will satisfy your physical selfish needs until like this man, the world finds something else. And then as a slave, you're cast to the side. But isn't it amazing we give ourselves to it over and over and over again? You see, the love, the love of Gomer. Well, notice thirdly, the life of Gomer. It says, yet an adulteress. This was her life. She had given herself to an adulterous lifestyle. Now, I want to put this on the right side of Pentecost, okay? Because there's a big difference before the indwelling Holy Spirit than after the indwelling Holy Spirit. Because at, before the indwelling Holy Spirit, there could be a picture of someone walking continuously in sin and God would draw them back as his own. But listen, after the indwelling Holy Spirit, the Bible is clear that if we live in a continuous, ongoing lifestyle of sin, 1 John 3, you know not God. Why? Because the seed that is in you will not allow you to. But yet at the same time, the picture here is Israel. They have departed from the Lord. They have found another love. They found another affection. They left the Lord behind. They don't even remember him or for they forgot about him. And yet at the same time, their life is giving to spiritual adultery. And they've given themselves to whatever pleases themselves. And they begin to worship other gods. So, Hosea, go to the woman that left you. Go to the woman that thinks she's found another love. And go to the woman that's lived continuously in a lifestyle of adultery. And do whatever you need to do to get her back and to love her. So you tell me. Does that sound unbelievable to you? But I'm telling you, that's exactly the character and nature of God. Look thirdly under this proclamation at the unconditional aspect of the command. How was Hosea to love her? Notice what it says. Go yet love a woman beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress, and then he defines the love. According or in the exact same way to the love of the Lord towards the children of Israel who looked to other gods and loved flaglands of wine. In other words, here's what he said. He said, listen, Hosea, you go love her in the exact same way I love Israel. And you say, wait a minute, preacher, what are you talking about? Well, can I tell you today, God is not in heaven wringing his hands and saying, well, I got to love this one. 
In other words, God didn't tell Hosea, all right, Hosea, you go find this woman and bring her back to you, and you just grin your teeth and bear it, bite on a nail if you got to, just put up with her. That's not what God said. God said, listen, you're to love her in the exact same way I love Israel. And I love Israel unconditionally. I don't hold anything against them when they repent before me. And he says, listen, you go get her. You bring her back and you love her in that same way. Listen, you and I better praise God that when God draws us back in fellowship with him, he treats us as if we had never, ever sinned. Aren't you glad when you repent and confess that God don't hold it against you anymore? And by the way, if you know anything about yourself and you know anything about the character of God, God loved you and me in spite of us all. He knew everything about us before we ever were. He knew what we would do before he saved us. He knew what we would do after he saved us. And yet God in his love pursued us, saved us, and in saving us, he loves us in spite of it. Unconditional aspect of the command. You ever had somebody just as a burr in your saddle? Y'all do know what a burr in a saddle is, don't you? Ask the cowboy who gets on a horse. You get a burr in a saddle, it ain't comfortable. You ever had somebody... That just every time you get around them, like a burr in a saddle? What's the tendency of our humanity? Avoid them. Y'all say amen. Aren't you glad God didn't treat you that way? Because listen, we wasn't a burr in his saddle. We were a thorn bush in his saddle. And he loved us anyway. There's nothing anybody could ever do to you that's worse than what you and I did to him. Nothing. You say, well, our personalities just click. Build a bridge and get over it. Y'all say amen. Listen, I don't love people with my love. If I do, listen, I'm not going to love them right. I'm to love him with his love. And can I tell you, how am I to love others in the same way he loved me? You see, God tells, God tells Hosea, he said, listen, Hosea, this is how I want you to love her. Look at secondly, the purchase. Look at verse 2. So I, being Hosea, bought her to me. Now notice the word in here. It's an interesting word. He doesn't say brought her to me. He bought her to me. So in other words, when he went to get her, he had to purchase her. He said, I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver for a, an armor of barley and a half armor of barley. So in other words, here's Hosea. He goes and he finds her. And what did he have to do? He had to purchase her. But here's the amazing thing. The man that she was with was willing to sell her. But not only willing to sell her, but willing to sell her for half of a common slave. So God's telling Hosea, you go pursue her, you go find her, and you purchase her if you have to. You do whatever it takes to bring her back to yourself. 
Now, aren't you glad today that you and I, you and I separated, alienated from a holy God, God knowing everything about us before we ever were, and God who knew that the only way you and I could be reconciled to him is God had to redeem us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ got on a cross, and on the cross, listen, he paid the price and bought us off the slave market of sin. So you tell me if God's love is pursuit and pursuing you. God would go to that kind of depth to bring me off of the slave market of sin? Absolutely he would, and he did. And so he purchased her, bought her unto himself. Now listen to the word in here. Bought her unto himself. What does that mean? He didn't buy her for himself. He bought her to be separated unto himself. See, when God saved you, listen, he separated you unto himself. Now, you may not know this, but I'm going to tell you now. When God saved you, your life as it was ceased to exist. And you say, well, preacher, what in the world do you mean by that? Here's what I mean by that. Before you were saved, you lived the only way you could live. In the Adam nature, which was what? Centered on self. After God saved you, here's what happened. You willingly came to him by faith, and by faith you submitted, surrendered, in faith and repentance, faith produced a surrender in your heart, whereby you said, I no longer belong to myself, I now belong to you. This is what Hosea had to do with Gomer. See, if you know who you were and you know what Jesus did, you'll have no trouble submitting to him. See, the problem is we think we're something. I mean, listen, we live in a free country. Free country, I can live my life how I want to live it. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I got news for you. We've so abused the liberty that God's gave us in America that this preacher is firmly convinced God one day is going to snatch it right from under us. I believe Christian liberty as we know it now will cease to exist before too long. Because we've abused it. We think it gives us the right to choose if we want to, choose if we don't want to. Choose to go, choose not to go. Choose to do this, choose not to do this. And, and I think we've so mutilated God's gift and privilege for us living in America that I believe one day God may just jerk it out from under us. Y'all say amen. I do. Listen to me. Sometimes God will give you what you want to realize you didn't want it. Look thirdly at the price. So what did he pay for? 15 pieces of silver and one and a half omers of barley. Now why is that important? Well, the price denotes her worthiness. You say, boy, I bet you she was so worthy for him to pay that. Oh, no. It shows how unworthy she was. 
15 pieces of silver is half the price of a common slave. You remember the Lord Jesus? Judas sold him for what? 30 pieces of silver. What was 30 pieces of silver? The price of a common slave. Here, Gomer was purchased by Hosea for half the price of a common slave. In other words, she wasn't worthy of any of this. You say, well, why'd Jesus die if I'm not worthy? Because here's what makes you worthy. He makes you worthy. He's the reason. He's the reason we have any worth. Listen, our worth is found in a person, not in anything else. That's the reason it's called grace. And listen, if, if we were worthy, how would it be grace? Grace is the unmerited favor of God. In other words, grace gave us what we didn't deserve and didn't give us what we did deserve. In other words, God said, hey, they're not, they're not worthy, they're not worthy, but I'm going to pay a price for them anyway. I'm going to purchase an unworthy vessel, and I'm going to make them worthy with myself. Isn't God good? Let me tell you a true story. There was an acquaintance of me and Lisa her name was Iris Blue. Iris Blue went all over the world with Manly Beasley and others, uh, was on focus on the family with James Dobson sharing her testimony all across the world. She's got a unique testimony. Iris Blue spent, spent eight years in prison. After she got out of prison, she began to sell drugs, got wealthy, opened two topless clubs in Houston, Texas. A 20-something-year-old man got a burden for Iris's soul. And this 20-something-year-old man would continue to call her, try to witness to her. Iris would hang up the phone on him. One day, this man called her and said, Iris, if you'll meet me outside the club, I'm not coming in that place, but if you'll meet me outside the club, I want to tell you one thing, and I'll never bother you again. Iris said, whatever, to get rid of you. And so she went out there and met him. And this man looked at Iris. His first words out of his mouth, he said, Iris, let me ask you one question and then I'll leave. He said, do you ever desire to be a woman? Now, number one, this man was brave because Iris was about 6'3 and about 220. Y'all say amen. But what this man didn't know but God knew is when Iris was in prison for five years of her term in prison, she was in solitary confinement for stabbing a lady. And when she was in solitary confinement, Here's what happened. She dreamed every day and she desired every day and she began to think what it would be like to be a normal woman, have a husband that loved her, a house, children, all these things that a, number, a, a, a normal lady would have in her life. And she began to think and think and weep and weep about what it would be like. And then this man, unbeknownst to him of any of that, she looked, he looks at her and says, Iris, would you ever like to be a woman? She broke. She began to weep. You tell me God ain't sovereign. And she said, yes. He said, Iris, for that to be reality, you've got to be married to the right one. That's the way he said it. And she said, who's that? He said, his name is Jesus. And Iris' first response was this, oh, listen, he'll never accept me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the depths that I've went to. You don't know what all I've done. No way he would ever accept me. And at that moment, that 20-something-year-old man looked up in the sky. And here's what he did. He said, Lord, he said, I've got Iris here. She really doesn't have anything to offer you. She's lived a wretched life. I don't know why 
or what she could ever do for you. But would you receive her as your bride? Iris looked at him and said, what did he say? (laughs) She didn't know anything. She'd never been in church. And he opened up his Bible and said, let me show you what he says. And he took her through the truth of the gospel. And he said to Iris, he said, Iris, he's willing to receive you. Are you willing to receive him? He said, but before you answer that question, I want to ask you a question. He said, if you had a man that really wanted to marry you, you believed with all your heart loved you, and he was going to propose to you, and he said this in his proposal. He said, Iris, he said, I love you. I want to marry you. I want you to be my wife. But every Friday night, I'm going to have an affair with another woman. He looked at her and he said, Iris, would you marry that man? Iris said, absolutely not. He said, well, Iris, do you think Jesus would wed himself to you if that was your heart? She began to cry even more and she said, no, but I want him. I need him. And so he stuck his head back up in the air. And he said, Lord, she's ready to receive you. And she lo- he looked back at Iris. And he said, Iris, he said, would you take the Lord Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior? To love, to submit, to surrender. To him be in your head and your bridegroom for every single day of your life until he takes you home. She said, yes. And right there, God saved her. Now let me tell you the rest of the story. That night, that night, She walked in her club and told everybody to go home and closed both topless clubs in Houston, Texas that night. To this day, she doesn't know where the money in her bank account is. She abandoned it. She said, I don't want it because of the way I earned it. She left there. She went through a Wendy's. And when she went through that Wendy's, a lady served her in the window. And Iris said, ma'am, can I tell you something that happened to me tonight? And Iris led that lady in Wendy's to the Lord right there in the drive-thru. You see, she was wed to the right man. Well, shows the unworthiness. Lastly, it denotes her wickedness. The word barley here is something that was synonymous with the offerings and the sacrifices that would take place when someone is being reconciled from committing adultery. And so what was the two things that Hosea had to purchase her with? Fifteen pieces of silver, half of a common slave, one and a half omers of barley, the very thing that was used to reconcile an adulterous woman to the Lord and to her husband. 
Well, let me show you fourthly, the proving. Look at verse 3. I know it's late. Y'all, y'all, y'all listen just a few more minutes. Say amen. And I said unto her, thou shalt abide for me many days. Notice what he said. Not with me, for me. Thou shalt not play the harlot. Thou shalt not be for another man, so will I also be for thee. Here's the three things in the proving. She had to prove her identification. Thou shalt abide for me many days. The word many days means synonymously continuously, many years. In other words, an endless time. And here's what he said. Here's how you prove that you truly turned from who you were, that you will abide for me. In other words, I'm, I'm the one that God's placed over you. I'm the one that God's given you. And you will abide for me for many days. In other words, there's going to be a proving of identification. You'll identify with me and me alone. Then there's a proving of separation. And he says this, that thou shalt not play the harlot. In other words, he said, Gomer, listen, here's how you can prove that that love has been showed to you. And you have now come to receive that love. Listen, he had to receive her. She had to receive him. And in that moment, here's what he said. Here's how you prove that this has become reality. You'll separate yourself from this old lifestyle. You'll separate yourself from what you used to do. You'll separate yourself from who you were. You'll no longer go down that road anymore. And then he says, there's a proving of association. And he says, and thou shalt not be with another man. In other words, you'll associate with me and me alone. Listen, church, isn't it high time that we associate with the Lord and the Lord alone? that he be the center of everything we are and then lastly in closing the promise look at the bottom verse 3 here's the key to the whole passage so will I also be for thee it's the part that everybody skips over but it's the most important part of the whole passage he said Gomer if you identify with me, if you'll separate yourself unto me, if you'll associate yourself with me and me alone, in other words, I be the center of your life. So in the exact same way, I will be to you. In other words, I'll be your love. I'll be your strength, I'll be your peace, I'll be your protection, I'll be your provider. I'll be everything for you that you need. You'll have no reason to go and find somebody else. The day God saved you, he gave you everything you need to live the Christian life. So God's not going to give you anything else. See, that's not the issue. The issue is how much of what he gave you are you living in? Can I tell you something? The Lord Jesus is your bridegroom. Is everything to you. When you step out, choose your own way over his, Commit spiritual adultery. Here's how much he loves you. He'll pursue you and pursue you and pursue you and pursue you and pursue you.
He'll never, ever get tired, get frustrated, or let you go. Isn't he good? Verse 4 and 5 ties it back to Israel, and he says, Israel don't have a king, Israel don't have an offering, Israel don't have a priest, Israel don't have an ephod, but there's coming a day that I'll bring them back to their land. And when I bring them back to the land, he said, I'll bring them back to myself, and I'll be all that for them. Israel. was standing in front of Pilate's judgment hall. And Pilate mentioned, behold, the king of the Jews. Israel, with great disdain and vigor, John chapter 19, he yelled out, they yelled out, we have no king but Caesar. Now, how many of you agree if there was ever a day God would say, that's it, I'm not doing any more? That would have been the day. But you study the Bible in the tribulation. Can I tell you what God's going to do? He's going to draw Israel into himself. He's going to show them that he's the one that redeemed them. He's the one that paid the price for them. He is their kinsman redeemer, and he's going to draw them to himself. And their eyes are going to be opened. And they're going to see, as Gomer saw, that he's all I need. Israel's not there yet. When Israel celebrated their 20th anniversary, they became a nation in 1948. They came into Jerusalem in 1967. Their 20-year anniversary of coming into Jerusalem was in 1987. Celebrating that 20th anniversary, how many of you agree that knowing what God said in the Old Testament, that there would be a day that he would bring them from scattered abroad and bring them back to their homeland, they should have pointed their eyes up to God and said, praise you, God, praise you, God. But here's what Israel did. In the entrances of Jerusalem, they put billboards up. And here's what they read. Are you ready? Science will be the way that peace comes to our land. Science. How many agree that would be another opportunity God said, that's it? That's it. Not, Not going there anymore. I've tried, I've tried. But God's going to pursue them. So let me ask you a question. Where are you at in your relationship with your bridegroom? Do you have a strange marriage? Can I tell you what? His love, his pursuit has never changed. How about coming to him this morning and saying, Lord, I've not been a good bride. But right now, I thank you today that you're all I need. And by the way, he's all you have. 
he'll receive you as you receive his forgiveness. And he'll treat you as if you never, ever, ever stepped away to start with. Father, I thank you today for your prevailing and amazing love that never, ever stops drawing and pulling us to yourself. But Father, you're not going to force yourself on us. So Father, I wonder here this morning how many of us would just be bluntly honest and say, Lord, I've not been a very good bride. I don't fellowship with you like I should. I don't allow you to be the head. I choose my own way over you way too many times. But Father, right here, right now, I want to thank you that you purchased me. You drew me. You loved me in spite of me. And I just want to be faithful. I know I can't do it without you enabling me. I know I can't do it without the desire of your Holy Spirit. But Father, whatever you need to root out of me that I don't grieve or quench that desire and that enabling power. Here I am. I just want to be faithful. I want you to be preeminent. Father, have your will and your way in this time in Jesus' name. All God's children said.